point every great beer is an even better story. Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. My favourite Paul Kelly songs is from Little Things, Big Things Grow. That's how I kind of like to think about what my guest today is doing in the beer world. Stu Grant looks like a beer nerd. I have serious beard envy. You talk to him, he sounds like a beer nerd. A oh, bugger it, let's just call it like it is. He is a beer nerd, but this guy really knows his beers. He spent the last few years working by day with Will Tatchell at Van Diemen Brewing, producing some great beers. And then metaphorically by night, he puts on his crazy scientist lab coat goes to work on producing some amazing experimental beers. In 2016, Ocho Beer was born in the back of the Van Diemen Brewery. Looking to do something different with their beers, their first year saw them release varieties such as a barrel-aged Saison, a wild fermented IPA, and a beer made with Chardonnay grapes. Not the typical beers you'd expect from a small startup brewery. They also took a different route to market, preferring to initially sell all of their beer via their own website. For the last few years, Ocho has been creating some great experimental beers and is now firmly in the conversation with other cool kids in the Aussie industry right now. So welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews, Stu Grant. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, mate. No worries. Unfortunately, we couldn't have done this a couple of weeks ago when we are at the uh, Out of the Wilderness. Was that what it was called? Into the Wilderness? Out of the Wilderness? Uh, from, from the Wilderness. From the Wilderness. I can never get that right. So Something to do with Wilderness. Something to do with the Wilderness, where we were obviously celebrating uh, farmhouse brewing up at... Uh, Ocho's Home Brewery, which is a Van Diemen. But, yeah. Um, look, i just got to say, let's call it out. Will Tatchell gets all the kudos for creating Van Diemen's estate ales, but I think it's really <laughs> you who's the real rock star on the brew kit, isn't it? No, look, we uh, he's, he's great on the ideas and sometimes I help out with the execution. You're such a modest bloke, modest bloke. That's <laughs> what we're going to have a lot of modesty on this podcast tonight, I think. Mate, uh, how the hell did you come to be become a brewer? I just sort of... You know, mucking around. I think I um, actually bought my first home brew kit. Um, went halves with my mum, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yep, this was probably oh, nearly twenty years ago. Oh wow! And um, um, at the time, I was sort of interested. I've I'd always been interested in sort of fermentation and and that sort of thing, but apart from sort of sneaking sneaking drinks as a high schooler i didn't really drink beer at the time um and it was probably more that sort of set the scene i think it was probably more the fascination with fermentation that sort of got me into how how do you become fascinated with fermentation at the age of 15 16 whatever it was i think it's sort of the the visual stuff that you can see you know you we we uh, grew up on a um an orchard or an old orchard um, so we used to have more apples than we could possibly eat or bake. So we'd, um, I'd occasionally juice some of them and put some in a, in a jar one day and, you know, put foil on top and sort of noticed bubbles forming around the, the rim, you know, a day later. And, um, I think learned about it sort of accidentally that way and sort of grew from there. But yeah, cider, cider was definitely the uh, the first beverage I made. Wow! And so so literally just out of mucking around, the mad scientist and the brewer that we know as Stu Grant was born. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I had I had a, 
uh, an old book that we used to, I'm sure it's been printed hundreds of times by now, but it was an old self-sufficiency book. I forget the name of the guy. It was a, it was a British book and um, it pretty much told you how to how to be self-sufficient. Gave you gave you a, you know, if you've got five acres, here's what you should plant, here's what animals you should keep. Oh, wow. And we'll go through everything sort of from, you know, butchering your own animals to malting your own barley to making your own cheese and stuff. I think I think I sort of, uh, I think I actually got some pearl barley, you know, like soup barley and tried to yep. malt it once when I was <laughs> young and dumb. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just sort of liked, liked the processes of all those sort of things and got into it that way, I think. Other but, other blokes but, your age were out chasing chasing birds and probably smoking <laughs> their first cigarettes and you're playing around with molten pearl barley. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I might have I might have run with them occasionally, but occasionally. Yeah. Fair enough. You're a unique cat, mate. So so Van Diemen by day, Ocho yep. by night, plus you work as a barista. You're raising a family. Uh, a coffee, coffee roaster, actually. A coffee roaster. Oh, sorry, yeah. mate. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that makes sense now. So, yeah, work as so a coffee roaster. Pretty busy times. What does yeah. a normal work week look like for you? I'm um, a couple of days a week um, roasting coffee now. I've been doing that for about nine years. I'm, I'm sort of cut back to two days a week on that, and then a couple of days a week um, brewing beer out of Van Diemen. Sometimes for Will, sometimes for me, and yeah, just sort of managing stuff uh, in between. Trying to be a dad every now and then too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Is there a, a lot of synergies between roasting coffee and making beer? Yeah, there's a lot, and we've sort of played around a, a bit with you know the comparisons between the two, particularly between sort of the craft beer scene and the, the specialty coffee scene. They're both sort of, you know, the pointy end, the, the gourmet end, the premium end of, of their respective markets. Uh, they both sort of are trying to muscle in on, on the big guys who are sort of dominating the market, um, trying to differentiate themselves by focusing on flavour and process and, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of similarities there. The, there's almost a bit of similarity in you know my a, a day behind the roaster compared to a, a day behind the brewery for me you know one one roast is sort of a 15 minute process um, whereas one one brew day is probably more like a eight hour process yeah other than that you know that when you, you sort of analyze that 15 minute roast um, and then go back to taste it the next day or something like that it's very similar to like an eight-hour brew day, coming back two weeks later and and tasting it and sort of analysing what went right or wrong. Fair enough. So in 2016, you decided to start up Ocho. Were you always keen to do something a little bit different once you created your own brand? Yeah, and part of that was sort of the the idea that we we knew we were going to be small. I knew I was going to be doing it part-time, so that sort of meant it was going to be a small operation. Also, we weren't sort of pouring huge amounts of cash into it to begin with. So we were definitely starting from a really small base. I'd been home brewing for nearly 15 years at that point. So I sort of knew I'd, I'd tried uh, quite a few different styles, different recipes, that sort of thing, and, and felt like I um, had covered the basics and wanted to sort of muck around with, you know, hybrid styles or um, unique ingredients, that sort of thing and sort of coincided with 
getting fascinated with um, wild fermentation and barrel aging sort of stuff. And so, yeah, all sort of, all sort of came, came about at the right time for me, sort of thinking about brewing crazy stuff. So, um, (laughs) and it fit, it fit in terms of how we hit the market as well. Like, you know, I can't say that there was a great, uh, a very uh, precise sort of marketing plan or business plan or anything, but um, we knew that it, it was, if you're not trying to be a beer brand that has mass appeal, then you sort of don't need to be yet another brewery that does the whole let's brew a pale ale and an IPA and a stout um, yeah. sort of thing. And then that decision to sell exclusively via the website early on, did you feel that was a, a better model based on your batch size and the fact that your beers were at the pointy end of the market? Yeah, definitely. So I chose sort of a, a partnership between my brother-in-law and I and my brother-in-law also named Will, confusingly. Yeah, um, confused me a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, his background is is in marketing and design. So, oh, so he's the one behind the, the really cool-looking labels. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I, mate, I they've been outstanding. No, yeah, they've been yeah. outstanding, those labels of late. Really great yeah. work. Well well yeah. done, the other Will. <laughs> yep, well done, other Will. <laughs> so, so I interrupt you there. So back on, on the website, yeah? Yeah, so uh, and he, he – He's a web designer by day, so he's all, he's a responsible for all of that as well. Um, oh, really I just good. I just make the beer, really. <laughs> when I was doing my research for this interview, I noticed that some of you, like really early on, you got on board the 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 Nipa Haze Craze, and yeah. in 2016 in November, you released your New England IPA. Some yep. might call you a trailblazer, mate. Well, you know, we uh, we were. I don't even know if we knew the term NEPA at the time, but we were definitely, like we called the beer the haze. We were definitely sort of mucking around with um, extreme hopping rates and uh, certain yeast strains that, you know, are going to create a a hazy sort of beer with that real juicy sort of um, profile to it. And then uh, we sort of, yeah, that that beer we um, decided to, Put another twist on it and use all New Zealand hops. Oh, I love I love New Zealand hops. Yep. It, but it does, it, as it turns out, they're not particularly well suited for that sort of Nipah style, as I've now learned. <laughs> the beer was fine, but it was it was no Nipah. And what about um, you know back on the website selling them during those early days? What was the take up and you know because. It was, it was was unique. Did you did you sell out of all your early beers? Yeah, like for the first six months, I reckon we we had no issue. Well, we've we've never really had any issue sort of selling out our releases, but we did pivot pretty quickly, to use a, a marketing term. <laughs> um, maybe not even a pivot, just sort of we we morphed a little bit. Um, you know, our first batch was a single. Uh, single whiskey barrel, so it was a hundred liters of beer, which is a, a tiny amount. That that sold out really quickly because it was yeah, it wasn't much of it. Yeah, <laughs> our batch sizes sort of quickly started to get a bit larger, and then when they get a little bit larger, there's it's you know the constraints of brewing commercially. Are one of the constraints is that you you're sort of stuck to whatever the brewery size is or the tank size is. So. We quickly sort of realised it was a lot easier to actually just brew a full full size batch, 
which is, you know, more like a 1,000 litres as opposed yeah. to 100. And when we did that, then we thought, oh, well, we might as well put some into kegs as well, you know, rather than having that many bottles to try and sell through. And then when we did that, we thought, oh, we might as well contact a few bars around Tassie and see if they want to take some of our beer in kegs as well. And sort of naturally uh, through that, we we pretty quickly had those other other ways to sell beer as well as the online sort of side of it. I reckon the online side of things has maintained and, and grown organically um, for the last nearly three years. And then the, the wholesale side of things has really taken off and that's sort of, in a way, that's what's paying the bills, I guess. Not, not that I'm getting paid yet as the brewer. <laughs> Doing it for doing it for the love of it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> of those early beers, were there any like real failures where you tried to just be a little bit too experimental? I, I reckon we got away with it by and large. You know, like like I said at the beginning, we we weren't aiming for mass appeal. So, um, you know, we were. It was almost sort of celebrated the fact that we were creating quite unusual beers, which is not to say that everyone was probably hundred percent thrilled with every release that we put out the first year but I do remember one I think it was our fourth ever release July 2016 we we put out a um a sour stout um called Black Forest oh um, yes yep yep so we we actually took the barrel that we'd use for for batch one uh, the barrel saison and uh refilled it after we bottled that beer we refilled it with um a stout and added cocoa nibs so it was going to be you know a barrel aged chocolate stout and what often happens with barrel aging is well anything can happen but uh, (laughs) essentially after a couple of months this stout started going sort of slightly sour so we we thought oh okay what do we do here (laughs) yeah so we sort of kept tasting it every couple of weeks and had to sort of decide what to do. It's it's like, you know, I guess if we had if we had started with a really firm idea of, okay, we want to make a, you know, a rich chocolatey dessert stout and the beer went sour, we're like, no, nah, that's not going to work. We could have chucked it out. But we were pretty happy to just sort of, you know, the beer was tasting, in my opinion, good. So we, we thought, all right, we'll roll with this, see what happens. And after a little while, it sort of um, mellowed out and it was – sort of definitely a stout, but it definitely had like quite a tart character to it. And one day we were tasting it and we thought, you know, that's almost like it's got that sour cherry type flavour to it. So and and we went straight away to chocolate cherry black forest cake. So what we what we did was to take some regular non sour stout and blend it with this barrel aged sour component. And we thought, you know, tasted it at a different um, levels um different blend ratios that sort of thing and pretty much we we thought we came up with a really good blend put it blended them together bottled the beer and released it just in time for winter Uh, we had one remaining keg of that about 18 months later and we put it on tap um somewhere here in tassie and i was blown away at how good it, it still tasted sort of nearly nearly two years after brewing. Shit. Yeah, okay. I um I really liked that beer. Um and I think a lot of people really did as well. But 
you know, it's a sour stout. There's going to be some mixed reactions. And I remember that yeah. was the first one we put out where, yeah, one or two people who bought it were maybe not on board. I think I remember telling, uh, talking to you and Will one day about, you know, what you can do when a beer isn't quite right. And there's so many steps you can go through with with trying to resurrect that beer. And I think you've just mentioned a couple of them, mm. you know, there, that whole blending thing and all that sort of stuff. It's it's amazing what you can do when you think that all might be lost. Yeah. And, you know, I, in general, if a, if a, I, I because I'm still connected with a lot of home brewers, um, haven't been home brewing a lot lately, but I, I do intend to get my kid out, you know, this year and get back into it because it's a really great way to practice recipes and that sort of thing. I um I still get a lot of questions from fellow home brewers and in general if someone says to me my beer's gone sour what can I do with it <laughs> actually my advice would probably be tip it brew another beer because <laughs> <laughs> more more often than not if you try and rescue a beer you're probably not going to get too far and I, but, I guess um, when you're dealing with twenty liter batches it's is not the yeah. end of the world <laughs> yeah that's right thousand and, liters maybe <laughs> but yeah. Uh, certainly, there are exceptions to that rule. I, th- I feel I'd like that beer is is a was a good outcome. I think I've still got one lonely three thirty mil bottle of it. Save it for a special occasion, mate. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it feels to me like last year twenty eighteen was a bit of a, a turning point for Ocho. I mean, mm. you started canning. You produced a few more beers that were perhaps not as pointy end. Uh, you had your color coded seasonal IPAs. I mean, you even yep. produced a mid strength, which was amazing, according <laughs> to uh, Greg Cook from um, Stone Brewing. What what changed for you leading into twenty eighteen to make those business decisions? I think the the main thing was uh, sort of uh, we had a bit of a team meeting. Um, the team, you and your brother-in-law, <laughs> yeah, and and our respective partners. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. So you just went out to dinner and got on the, yeah, on the gas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't that isn't that how all good team meetings same, go? Same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My brother-in-law was um, uh, he had a new job starting early this year, so uh, he was going to have a lot less time. I was in the sort of opposite position. I was actually opting to cut back at my day job in order to dedicate another day to. Just Ocho, but you know that sort of pay cut sort of meant because none of us have taken taken any money from the business in yeah nearly three years now. Yep. So it was sort of a the case of all right, let's we've I guess we've got the proof of concept. People are interested in what we're doing. How are we going to basically pay my wage one day a week? And we came up with a few plans. And I think from the beginning, you know, we get a lot of reactions from punters who say, oh, good on you, you know, it's great not doing a core range. We really like that you you don't, you do a new beer every time. And a lot of, you know, beer commentators sort of would say the same thing. On the other hand, we get bars and bottle shops and our beer distributor sort of saying to us, yeah, that's really great. Obviously, that's sort of the essence of Ocho. But what if you could do like just maybe – one core range beer, <laughs> um, and from the you know from the bottle shops or the, the bars point of view, that's sort of like we'd love to have you on top on tap all the time, but um, you know it's a bit hard knowing knowing that you you're going to release a beer maybe once a month, maybe less, and we you know we don't know what it's going to be or when it's going to come out. So I can completely understand that. That's you know commercial realities. That's how 
how things work. There's sort of got to be a little bit of a balance between being uh, innovative all the time and actually producing beers that a lot of people actually want to drink. So we looked at it and we were like, all right, we don't want to do, we're not going to, we're not going to be releasing Ocho Pale Ale or, um, you know, that sort of thing. Ocho Gold. <laughs> well, we did that, didn't <laughs> we? We did actually, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what we wanted to do, because of one of the things that we really, because we release beers sort of uh, month by month or, or thereabouts, we, we've often um, gravitated towards brewing seasonally, so using, using ingredients when they're fresh or ripe or whatever. And we sort of had this concept of what if the market, like, you know, the market really, really wants a good solid IPA, um, but what if we actually did uh, an IPA that sort of changes with the seasons a little bit? So that's where we came up with that concept. So it's it's one beer. We call it on the label one one IPA four seasons. And they've all been sensational. Thank you, thank you. Pleasure. Um, I'm number the the fifth iteration. So uh, autumn autumn 2019 is in the tank at the moment. I look when I was uh, up there at the at the festival. I was sitting in the uh, the Ocho slash Van Diemen offices, and I saw on the on the desk there, your uh, all your handwritten notes around the the new uh, version yep. of uh, yep. Ocho Red, and I hope yep. you enjoyed the little note that I left on uh, there for you. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> for those I that uh, much appreciated. <laughs> for those playing along at home, I just left a little note, a lovely little note, just to say that Stewie blows goats. So yeah, just, just yeah, out of the goodness of my heart. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that the next morning when I was feeling a bit a bit tender after the festival oh. and. Uh, so, oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Some drunk I idiot. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was completely sober. It was when I was doing the interview with uh, the guys from Bruny Island. So, to be honest, I actually thought it would, it would have been one of them. Well, yeah, probably. They're they're a bit loose. Those guys, aren't they? In a good way. Great mm. people. Great people. In the best way. Absolutely. I uh, I know you're a student of the game. So, what excites you about the industry right now? I I really like that. I think um, even when I started. So we're about to have our third birthday, I guess. Um, even when we started, I think uh, Aussie brewers were looking at the US market as we have been for 10 to 20 years and, and sort of I think, you know, the, the US market has craft, craft beer sector, independent beer sector as I guess we're now calling it, um, has always been a long way ahead of us. And to non to non sort of indie beer people that sounds silly because they're like what americans don't don't do good beer they drink budweiser <laughs> but um you know oh for, you for uneducated the, fools yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those of us who've been over there you know um we went to my wife and i went to bend in oregon um oh, nice yeah uh five years ago nearly um and it's got the same population as launceston where i live yep um and there are over 30 um, nationally distributed craft breweries there. So, Yep. How cool is that? It, yeah. It's pretty cool. And, you know, it's like most craft, most beer sold in Oregon, in the state of Oregon, is um, craft beer now. Like it's it's majority of the market. That's the big, unreal. The big guys there just are struggling because, because the market's really caught up to the idea that, you know, craft beer is 
superior in a lot of ways. So maybe you'd just like to turn Launceston into Bend, Oregon one day. <laughs> yeah, I'd, um, yeah, for sure, or at least Tassie. Yeah. Tassie into, you know, the, the craft beer destination in, in Australia, which, and, and like I say, in the last three years, even since I've started, it's it's heading that way. Like, And, and there are more breweries yeah. coming. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's we unreal. That, yeah. That's a pretty cool thing, actually, when you think about it. You can get from top to bottom, you know, into depending on where you start and finish, but, you know, anywhere from two to four hours top to bottom, breweries in between, it's pretty good. pretty good thing that maybe we could create like a – a beer trail map and tell people where to go. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that be fantastic? Yep. <laughs> or maybe tweak the one we've got currently and promote it a bit more. Come on, government, <laughs> let's get on to it. Yep. <laughs> so, mate, in the in the market right now, whose beers are you actively looking to sample? Good question. Um, I guess I have a, a real soft spot for, you know, barrel-aged sour beers, farmhousey sort of stuff. Um, I've been a big fan of wildflower beer. I was going to, I was going to yeah. mention the W word, but I, I yeah. didn't want to. But, but I, like in a, in a good way, I think uh, yourself and Topher, what you guys are doing, there's a little bit. Of, even though he's blending and you're brewing, there's there's some synergies there, and I think there's some really cool crossover. I would love to see a wildflower and Osho collaboration at one stage. Yeah, we should. He and I should talk about that. I, I think um, you should. I definitely go visit every time I'm in Sydney. Um, including my first visit was when they were still waiting on their liquor license, so they weren't quite open. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, I love I love what those guys are doing. It's just got a lot of integrity. They've got they've got a they've got a you know if you think about it, they've got a very simple model. Like they well at least to, to begin with, they have two beers. Yeah, and um, yeah. and it's all about how they age in the barrel. Um, they you know they openly say we we don't even brew tofu doesn't want to brew um he'd rather just do the fermentation side and the blending side and he's a bit of a fermentation nerd like yourself yeah pretty much and he openly says i don't brew and yet he's one of the hottest breweries in the country right now yeah yeah because i think in some ways as much as i love the actual process of brewing like i i don't think i could do that because i really enjoy you know stirring the the malt porridge and um, throwing the hops in the boil and getting a getting a face full of aromatherapy and that sort of thing, but steam. making yeah. sure your your pores are all clean from the steam coming off. That's right. Yeah, you do have um, lovely skin. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> say that. Yeah. Now, mate, um, on the beer healer interviews, we we very rarely get exclusives, but tonight, having spoken to you a little bit earlier. It may not be exclusive for everybody that's listening to this, but I'm going to call it one. So, what we probably will be. We, we I haven't really talked about this too much. Yet. Oh, that's so awesome! That is so <laughs> awesome. So let, let's unscripted, Stu. Uh, so, what do you got planned for the next few months with Ocho? The scoop. The scoop. Um. Well, pretty soon, um, I've I've just accepted a job. Um, at a new brewery, so I'll be I'll be actually giving up my day job, jobs, and jobs um, up, yeah, <laughs> yeah, moving moving up the river um, to basically be head brewer at a, a brand new brewery in Beaconsfield, Tassie. You ripper! Uh, yeah, what a great opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. How how did that come about? Um, I I met um, Brett the the owner 
through our local homebrew club, actually. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, he got involved and, um, yeah, first time I met him, we're at a, a beer dinner um, and we, you know, we had a chat and um, I, I remembered him the next day as uh, this this guy who said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm starting a brewery. And I sort of, you know, rolled my eyes a little bit and thought, yeah, okay, you and you and every other guy. Yeah. Starting a brewery, oh sure, but um, yeah, no, sure enough. A couple of months later, they um were were talking about a building that they'd purchased in Beaconsfield and started talking about plans and asking me the odd question about you know brewery design and that sort of thing. And I guess that was maybe a year ago, and I guess I sort of consulted with them for a, a fair while and was weren't really any plans to to move on or uh, get involved. Too much more than that, but I guess out of the blue, a bit of a job offer came came out of it, and uh, sort of thought about, you know, I'd clearly been heading towards doing brewing full time. So when the job yep. offer came, I sort of thought, yep. had to, I certainly had to think about it. You're like, honey, we're moving <laughs> to Beaconsfield. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're we're not even we're not even moving. We, um, you know, I've been travelling to Evandale from Launceston. That's twenty minutes. So minutes, it's, yeah. it's going to be about thirty minutes in the other direction. Oh, well, that's so, easy then. Yeah, not too not. far. And are you walking into a fully commissioned, ready-to-go brewery with recipe ideas and all that stuff ready to rock and roll? Brewery is uh, leaving the factory. I think it's being packed in a container probably as we speak. It'll arrive by the end of April, and then there'll be about a one-month commissioning process. So I reckon if we're not brewing beer by the end of May, I'll be tearing my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> Just not out of that big, thick, bushy beard. <laughs> Certainly not. And we, we haven't even mentioned, what is what is the name of the brewery? Uh, so it's Miner's Gold. Miner's Gold. Yeah, Fantastic. quite apt for the uh, the gold mining town of Beaconsfield. Yeah, nice. Now, mate, what, what does this mean for Ocho? Does Ocho take a break for a while or will you sort of be, you know, transitioned from brewing at Van Diemen up to Miner's Gold? How's that going to work? Yeah, so we'll be um, – it'll be travelling with me. We'll be we'll be going, going up the river and I guess when I started talking seriously with those guys about accepting their job offer – I said, what if we uh, actually bought a, an extra tank just for Ocho? So there'll be a there there'll be a big old Ocho tank. Fantastic. Um, just for just for our beers up there. So and obviously being a startup brewery out there, um, it's going to have a full it's going to be a full brew pub. So there'll be a full kitchen, dining room, overlooking uh, a very schmicko looking brewery. Nice one. Really nice. It's a eighteen nineties sort of miners' cottage, and they've. They've kept the front and sort of built a large sort of um, hall out the back. Great stuff, mate. Yeah, it's going to look really good. Well, congr- congratulations. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it should be good. Uh, what is the, the capacity of the new brewery? Um, about the same as what I've been using. It's 1,000 litres, so slightly yep. smaller than Van Diemen. But, yeah, we should have a, a little bit more capacity um, in tank Tank space and, and obviously awesome. being a startup brewery, there'll be plenty of spare tanks to begin with as it sort of builds up. So that'll give Ocho a fair bit of space to play around, I guess. Yeah, no, and I'm assuming that you'll be playing around with some new styles of beers, being it's sort of like a a touristy type of of location. Yeah, um, and you yep. won't have the the farm from Van Diemen to to source your ingredients. So you'll be testing your skills out with a few different beers, I would imagine. Yep, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. As much as I like doing experimental 
beers. When I started home brewing, I think I brewed my first batch in 2002 or something like that. I, I got taught by a home brewer who was only a couple of years older than me. Um, he got taught by his dad who grew up in the Czech Republic. So he we, we were brewing heaps of pilsners, but like good old school pilsners. I know yep. pilsners, pilsners is such a uh, such a sort of almost a dirty word. It's um, People don't respect the art of a great pilsner. They don't. You heard it here first. Pilsner is the new IPA. <laughs> there there are a lot of you. craft pilsners coming out now, though, aren't there, really? Yep. Yeah. Good to see. And, you know, as a style, like, I actually love a good New World pilsner as well. Like, uh, a lot of people are coming out with non-traditional pilsners, I guess, that have hops that are grown in Tassie or Australia or whatever. Yeah. Some of those are delicious, nice. like, work really well. But I, I also love, you know, a proper old school um, uh, noble hop pilsner, and yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to actually going back almost to where I started um, as a home brewer, brewing just the the styles that were sort of known and available back then. So great you know, stuff. A, a good simple English beer, a good pilsner. A, nice. Well, mate, yeah. it sounds bloody exciting. I'm very happy for you. That's that's unreal. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. I didn't expect that we would be clocking in and around about the the high thirties on our interview, being that you're you're a pretty <laughs> quiet bloke but you do love a chat which is which has been nice here tonight do love it as always mate i need to pull us up so that we don't go over the time limit so i'm just wondering do you think you got 90 seconds left in you to answer the fast five yes i do great all right Stu grant your time starts now has beer ever led you astray and can you give us details yes and no (laughs) boring boring (laughs) who's the most famous person you've ever shared a beer with Actually, it would be uh, Greg Greg Cook from uh, Stone. Oh, yep, good one, good one. I was there too. Yep. <laughs> what What has beer done for you that anything else hasn't? Um, allowed me to uh, do something I love for a job. Nice, excellent. Uh, what's the best beer experience you've ever enjoyed? I reckon it would be. When I smuggled a bottle of homebrew up the overland track, shoved it in a, I, I ran, I finished the walk just before everyone else, shoved it in Icy Creek and uh, cracked it with everyone when they got to the end of the, the hut that day. Happy days, happy days. Yeah. And what's the uh, the most important thing you've learnt in your craft beer journey? Um, listen to everyone. Um, and but don't take their advice unless you think it's a really good idea. Beautiful, beautiful. Lastly, can you help me get Chris Hemsworth on this podcast? Yes, I'll give him a call. Great. Do you know you are the first person who's actually stuck to the 90 second time limit? Well done. Yeah. Well, look, congratulations. I, was, I, I try to be brief, it's not actually something I'm known for. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning this tonight. I thought you were a, a quiet dude who didn't talk much, but have a chat, Stu Grant. <laughs> well, mate, uh, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast tonight. It's been um, absolutely fantastic. Great to pick your brain around and brewing and everything you've done and the decisions you've made and, and where you're heading with your with your new opportunity up there in Beaconsfield. So, mate, I wish you all the best for that. I look forward to seeing the beers that come out of there as well as uh, the future releases for Ocho. So, mate, uh, all I've got to say is cheers to great beers. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another Beer Healer interview. I really hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I did. If you want to follow along with more Beer Healer content, 
can check out my Facebook, YouTube and Instagram pages. Just search Beer Healer or you can visit beerhealer.com. If you like the podcast, can you please help me spread the word by subscribing and rating it and sharing it with your beer-loving friends.